Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Good morning and welcome to Tate Springs. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. I wanted to draw your attention real quick to these cards that you saw in the pews uh, as you came this morning. This is the same thing we did last week, but we wanted to give you an extra one. And, uh, and so this is an opportunity for you to take one of these cards and think of someone, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member who, uh, who right now doesn't really understand the reason for, for the season. And, uh, and just to invite them to one of the uh, Christmas services that we have uh, coming up. We have the Upper Room Christmas, which is um, a service that happens on the other side of the street. And uh, on December 10th, that's next Sunday at 7. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, December 17th, we have our uh, music worship ministry special that morning. And then the uh, following Sunday on the 24th, we have our candlelight service in the morning. We're doing it in the morning. That way, uh, we can um, uh, just have an opportunity to come together that morning, take the Lord's Supper, and, uh, and worship the Lord during this Christmas season. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me this morning. Turn to the book of Romans. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series called When in Rome. And uh, if you're just now joining us, let me just kind of quick, quickly bring you up to speed. Uh, and the idea of this whole series, I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here, is uh, the whole idea of this series is to, to think about what Paul is giving, the instructions that Paul is giving to those Christians that were living in Rome and how that applies to us here today. And so we, the very beginning, if you go back to the very beginning of this series, we, we spent some time talking about the, kind of the similarities uh, between ancient Rome and modern day America. And, uh, and what we discovered is that there are a lot of similarities. In fact, there's not a whole lot of differences. Uh, there's a lot of idolatry and false religion and a lot of kind of warping of uh, the Christian worldview that God has given us in his word. And, uh, and so what we're wanting to do in this series is just be trained by God's word, but be trained by the spirit and edified by the spirit in a way that helps us to navigate our way through this chaotic, crazy world in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. And so as, uh, as Paul has been making this argument, which by the way, legal scholars have looked at, at Paul's argumentation uh, as examples for how really to, to persuade people and lead them to a place of truthfulness. And, and so Paul just does a, a glorious job. Of course he does. I mean, this is God's word. And so we know this is more than just man's argument. This is actually uh, God's inspired and infallible word. And, uh, and so in Romans chapter 8, Paul is bringing us now and turning, uh, kind of turning the corner to help us to understand what does God's grace look like in our life. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to live by the Spirit. Now, uh, in the not too distant past, in December 1st, 1955, um, at the end of a long, busy work day in Montgomery, Alabama, there was this bus uh, that was filling up quickly at the end of a long day. And this was during the, the time where there was a segregation between people based on the color of their skin. And, uh, and, and so it, on the bus was this young African-American woman named Rosa Parks. And as she was sitting down, the bus started to fill up, and there were some people with light-colored skin that, that wanted a place to sit. And so the bus driver asked this young lady, because her skin happened to be darker, that she needed to get up and give her seat over to someone with lighter colored skin. 
And she refused to do it. And, uh, and so this, this moment in history became this really big kind of historical moment, this historical point that people to this day look back on because she refused to stand up because she believed in, a, in something that was a little bit higher, a lot higher rather than the law. And so her refusal to move wasn't really just, in other words, a spontaneous act of rebellion, but a deliberate stance against a system that was unjust. And so the question then becomes, because she was essentially breaking the law in that time, was Rosa Parks or society around her the one that was out of place? Because on that bus, I want you to think with me for just a minute that you're on that bus with her and you're living during that time in this country and you see this person who's refusing to give up her seat. Which one would you think was out of place, the society and the law or her? And so, of course, in her mind, she didn't see herself as the one that was out of place. She saw society as the ones that were out of place because she had a different view, essentially, of human dignity. The reason I'm bringing that up this morning is this, that this idea of seeing the world in a certain kind of perspective that tends to brush against the grain is really kind of the idea that Paul is giving us in Romans chapter 8. It's this idea of the Christian living by a higher standard, by a higher calling, the one that calls us to stand or rather sit in a place that is unmoving because we believe in something that transcends what society tends to tell us. So when society tells us to move or to change, the question this morning is this, will we stand or will we sit or will we begin to change our minds based on what society is telling us to do? And it may not make sense to those around us whenever we refuse to change, to go along with what they're telling us to change. But from God's perspective, he's seeing us hold on to the truth that he's given us so long ago. And so this is what Paul's telling us here in Romans chapter 8. And so in Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at the first 11 verses together this morning. And I first want you to look at where we kind of left off last week in Romans 7, 25. Look at that verse with me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, So then on the one hand, I myself, listen to this, with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Look at that phrase with me, with my mind, I am serving the law of God. That's really talking about how God's grace is permeating every single element of Paul's being. And so his mind, remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so Paul's saying that his mind, the way he sees things, is being transformed because of the grace of God. So his flesh still wants to do sin, but his mind is being transformed by the grace of God. Now, when you look down at verses 5 through 8, he picks up that theme of the mind of Christ. Let's go ahead and read those verses, 5, 6, 7, and 8. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind, he uses the word mind four times in these verses, set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So sometimes, especially during Christmas, we look at someone who's acting like a non-Christian and we say, why are they doing that? They can't help themselves. They do not have the mind of Christ. So when Starbucks gives you a holiday cup instead of a Christmas cup, just don't be surprised by that, okay? 
And so I was having a conversation this morning uh, with a church member about how um, my favorite Dallas Maverick had a, a child out of wedlock. And I said, well, the problem isn't really just the, the child, of course. The problem is the fact that he doesn't know Jesus. And, and so we, we want him to know Jesus. That's really what's at stake here. And so people are, who are unchristian cannot help but act unchristian. And so our goal isn't to change their words or to change their behavior the goal is for them to be transformed by Christ. Do we understand this? This is what Paul means here when he's talking about understanding the grace of God. It transforms our minds. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, he says in verse 7, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so he gives us this idea, and really what he means here is he's talking about what sometimes is described as a Christian worldview. And so um, most of us in a day and age with social media and, and rather computers that we're looking at social media with, we wear these things called glasses or as, the, as, as they were described in the old times, these spectacles, right? And, and so um, I've try, I wanted to wear these today and take them off, but Amanda said, listen, Jared, I'm just going to be honest with you. They don't really go with what you're wearing. So I'm not wearing them <laughs> today for that reason. But uh, I wear contacts and so I wear these, these glasses sometimes and, uh, and glasses, um, we know what these things do. We get a prescription and we put them on. And, uh, and so when we're not wearing them, reality is distorted. Uh, we cannot read the signs for what they are saying. We don't see things for the way they really are. But when we put these glasses on, suddenly we begin to see things clear, uh, clearly. And so what Paul's saying here is that the mind of Christ is the way that you see reality for the way that it was intended to be seen. And when you're not wearing the Christian spectacles, reality is going to be distorted. And so living by the Spirit, in other words, means that you are seeing things for the way they, that they were really intended to be seen. So this is what he means when he says the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, living by the Spirit. It is seeing reality for the way it was intended to be seen. So the question then becomes, what do we do whenever we're wearing our Christian glasses and we're seeing something debated on a presidential debate stage on the issue of marriage or on the issue of sexuality, on the issue of life. And we see this big pressure coming that's telling us <clears throat> this is the way that we're defining and understanding and, and seeing these issues now. Do we, do we take the Christian worldview and then we say, well, I'm the only one in the room who's seeing it this way and other people are seeing it another way. So maybe, maybe I need to change my prescription. In other words, do we bend what we believe based on what society tells us, or do we understand that we may be on a bus and everyone may be telling us one thing, but we know the truth because of what God has told us, and we're going to sit right down in that seat and we're not going to tell anyone to get us up. That's what Paul's telling us and asking us here in Romans chapter 8. So this morning, Paul's inviting us to reflect on this. What is your mindset on? What is your mindset on? And I want to talk to Christians today because Paul is talking to Christians because he's asking us, how do we view the world? But, but more importantly, he's asking us not only how we view the world, but he's asking us what we do with that and how we get that worldview to begin with, where it comes from, and then what, what we're doing with it. So we want to kind of navigate our way through this. So the fuller understanding of everything that Paul's saying in Romans 8 is this. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. We're going to put it on the screen for you. God's grace is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
God's grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a get-into-life's-true-mission-pass. We are to display Christ in everything that we are. In everything that we are. Notice how I finished that sentence. Not necessarily in everything that we do. We're going to talk about that. But what Paul's getting at here for you as someone who claims to be in Christ is to display Christ in everything that you are. This is the difference between God's grace and God's law. When we focus on God's law, we focus on what we can do for God. When we focus on God's grace, we focus on what God has done for us, therefore, so that we can do uh, different things for the Lord. So in Romans 1 through 7, Paul has been unpacking the idea of grace, but now he wants to talk about the impact of God's grace inwardly so that we can impact the world outwardly. And there's a couple of insights that we want to we want to kind of uh, discover here. The first one is this. Uh, this is verses one through four, that God's grace isn't the end of the race. It's the start of running free. A lot of times as Christians, we think, well, I got the gospel. I've received God's grace. Now I can just kind of coast through life for the rest of existence. That's not, it's not what the Christian life is all about. There is really no retirement plan in the scriptures for us. Uh, and so when we receive God's grace, it's not that we've kind of culminated life's purpose in existence. It's that we've really just be- begun to live. And so now we can start running, but it's not just running, it's running free. And so I want you to look with me at verse one, because Paul says, therefore, after everything he's been saying in Romans one through seven, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. The word condemnation carries with it the weight of a verdict of guilty. And, and so uh, when, whenever I, Amanda and I catch our kids doing something they're not supposed to do, you know, there's, a, there's this weight of a, of a verdict of, of guiltiness for them, especially justice right now. He's really tenderhearted sometimes. And so, you know, one, one day I was, uh, the other day we were putting him in the car and uh, Hannah was asking me a question and justice was, we were by a road and he was just kind of, he was tired. So he was acting especially goofy so he could get the tiredness out of him and he's running around. And so I said, Hannah, give me just a minute to answer the question. Let me get justice in. So when we got in the car, we were, I was answering the question and I was telling her why I was waiting to answer the question. It's the whole thing. And then justice is in the back. And so I'm telling her about him. He wasn't in trouble, but he thought he was. And so he had this weight. He's just like, I'm sorry, daddy. Will you forgive me? And I'm just like, brother, you didn't do anything, you know. But he just had this like weight of guiltiness on him. And uh, and it was just weighing him down. And so he felt condemned in that moment for whatever reason. And uh, and that's what sin does. And, And the Holy Spirit does that for you. Because God loves you and he wants you to know that sin is not something that's okay. And so he wants to to save you and redeem you from that. But listen, once you receive God's grace, you don't have to feel that way anymore. Listen, this is a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse because Paul says, now, believer, there is no condemnation. So you have this relief. The, the gavel that was falling to pronounce you guilty now is not pronounced on your life. There are no longer chains that are binding you. They have fallen off and now you are free. And, and so what Paul's doing though in this verse is he's trying to let us know that the point is not just to avoid punishment. A lot of times that's what we tend to think, well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I skirted that. But Paul's trying to tell us that's not the point of the fact that there's now no condemnation. He's not just telling us about avoiding punishment. He's trying to help us to understand there is a complete change in our status. Because one time we stood guilty before the Lord, 
But now in Christ, we've been declared righteous. And so God looks at us and he says, there's no condemnation on your shoulders, brother or sister. It's, it, it's as if these chains have not just been broken, but that they've been turned to dust. And so there's a complete change in your identity. There's a transformation in your very person and your very soul and your very mind. And, um, and so, you know, I have this, uh, you might have noticed, I, I, I like to preach from a hard copy, a hardback copy of the Bible, and because it's just easier to hold. I, uh, a lot of preachers, we really get sometimes hung up in the beautiful leather covers, and I kind of went that direction for a while, and so the, there's a whole like Bible market, if you didn't know that, by the way, and, uh, and so there's Schuyler Bibles and Allen Bibles, and there are text blocks and certain kinds of leathers and colors and brands, and it's a whole thing, and, and I would try out some of those things, and I just realized, you know, I just really like a cloth hardback Bible. And so I bought this one, which was ridiculously less expensive than some of those other ones, by the way. And, uh, and so I bought this and, uh, off of eBay, and it had this kind of like plasticky binding on it. And I went to a local binder, and I said, listen, I want this bound in cloth. And so they came back, and it's a di- it, the whole thing has been kind of like changed now. It's a, it's a fundamentally different nature uh, than what it was when I turned it in. And so Paul's giving us this picture, and he's saying, listen, the reason there's now no condemnation, because God's grace has entered into the recipe and changed it. And so you're different now. You're a different person. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. He sees you in Christ. And so he sees you transformed. And so what does this mean for you? It's a beautiful message, actually. It means that if you're wrestling with guilt, you don't have to anymore. It means that God's not mad at you. And I don't know if someone here needs to hear that. But I want, I want you to hear me say this. If you are in Christ, God is not mad at you. There is now no condemnation. You're free. And, and so th- it's a change in this status. God's wrath is not waiting there at the end of the day to come upon you. You have been freed from that. And so then Paul's telling us that's what has already happened. So embrace it in a life of freedom. And so here's what God's grace does. It frees you in order that you can begin to live freely. He says it this way to the church in Galatia. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Galatians 5.1. So you are able to live in a free way because you have been set free from Christ. That's, that's the message. Now, life in Rome was hard for, for Christians. Sometimes we think it's really hard in America. Listen, it's really easy in America to live as a Christian compared to what our ancient brothers and sisters had to live uh, through in ancient Rome. In ancient Rome, um, Christianity was an outlawed religion. And uh, they had a whole host of deities. And you would walk through Roman streets and you would have coins that were minted with the emperor's face. And it wasn't just like a president. It was a god to these people. And so if you didn't worship the emperor, then you were out of step with society. And guess what? They even called you an atheist for being a Christian. You were called an atheist. Why? Because they were wearing a different set of spectacles. So then as an early believer, you you had a decision to make. Were you either going to bend to society or were you going to sit on in that seat and say, no, this is where I'm sitting and this is where I'm standing because I know what Jesus has said about reality and I'm seeing the world in a different way. 
And, and so the, the streets were aligned with temples and society was steeped in pagan practices and to live by the spirit for an early believer meant that they didn't bow to the emperor's image and they didn't bring offerings to the altar of Jupiter or to, uh, they didn't have lavish feasts to Bacchus, the god of wine. They didn't participate in Saturnalia, the, the feast for agriculture. They didn't do any of these things because they were in church. And they were participating in the Lord's Supper. And then people on the outside, look, they're cannibals. They're drinking blood. They didn't understand. And then they would walk around and, and say, brother such and such and sister such and such. And they say, look, it's incest. Because they didn't understand. They were wearing a different set of spectacles. They didn't understand Christian language. And they didn't understand the Christian worldview. And so in the second century, there was a man named Polycarp. Um, who was a disciple of John, the author of Revelation. By the way, this is an amazing uh, fact in church history that you can look at the authors of God's word and you can connect them specifically to these church fathers like Polycarp, who was discipled by John the Apostle. And there's a story about Polycarp's um, martyrdom where he was uh, arrested and martyred for believing in Jesus Christ. And so there was this time where he was chained up and there was a, a, a coliseum essentially full of people who wanted to see this man burned at the stake simply because he said Jesus is God. And so they were screaming at Polycarp, the atheist, the atheist, burn the atheist. And they gave him a chance to recant. You know what Polycarp did? He looked at, he, he was wearing his, his Christian glasses and he looked at all of the people in, he stand, in the stands and he said, behold the atheists. They tied him to the stake and they burned him to death. And some traditions say that he stood there alive in the fire and they had to poke him basically to kill him. Who was right and who was wrong? The thousands of people in attendance or the one that was being burned at the stake? Well, God's word tells us. God's grace, here's the point, leads us to a state of no condemnation but it also leads us to a place with the right worldview and therefore gives us the boldness to stand and listen, to be even willing to die because we know that even if we die, we have true life that extends beyond this life. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But for us, here's what this really means living in today's version of Rome. We need to understand that our Christian identity sets us apart from this world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, we will be out of step with culture. And I want you to hear me say, that's okay. The goal isn't to be out of step with culture. The goal is something deeper than that, that will make you sometimes out of step with culture. And we have to be willing to live with that tension. This freedom also calls us not to really just, con not, not to conform, but to be agents of transformation. And so we see what's happening in culture, and we want to be agents of transformation. We're going to talk about in just a second how that happens. But it's, in other words, not just to say, well, I've been transformed. And so society is just going to go to hell in a handbasket. But, you know, that's not my problem. No, we want to participate and serve and be an example of that transformation. How do we do that? The spirit within us is the source of our strength. Listen, when we're told to redefine gender and to redefine marriage and to redefine life and to redefine all these kinds of things. The question before us is this, are we going to take the tools and the glasses of what the world is handing to us or are we going to take the tools and the glasses of what the word of God has given us and see creation the way that God has told us to see it? We don't need to stand condemned by society or anybody or anything when we're in Christ. We are free.
grace isn't the end of the race, it's the beginning of true life. But here's where Paul's really getting at here, because if that was the end of the message, and then we'd just be like, okay, well, we're supposed to change culture. That's not the point. That's really the, the byproduct of the point. And so the second thing that Paul gives us here is this. Inward devotion to Christ turns outward actions into gospel reflections. And so, so what we see with Romans 8 is, is kind of this internal thing that Paul is giving us. In Romans 8, 9 through 11, he speaks not just of a comforting presence that walks alongside us, but a power that dwells within us. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Look again with, with me at verse 9. The Spirit dwells in you. This is a statement about our identity as believers. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then that same power that conquered the grave is living inside of you in your life. The very essence of Christian hope is inside of you. Verse 11 too, we see this a similar message. So the point is that while we have freedom to live in a way that challenges and confronts and contradicts ungodliness in the world, our purpose is much deeper than just societal change. Life's true mission is more than just societal change. And so in John chapter 11, this is really a kind of the idea that Paul's giving us. And in John chapter 11, you have this historical, remarkable story of Jesus raising a man from the dead. And I don't think we understand how amazing that is. So Jesus, he hears his friend is sick. He finally gets to the town. He's been told that Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's not just, he's just not dead. He's a little dead. He's a lot dead. And, uh, and so he's been dead for four days. The people are saying, Jesus, whatever you do, just think about this. If you're going to open that stone away from that grave, the body's going to stink. And, and so they're really worried about what Jesus is going to do. They're wondering why Jesus never came. And so Jesus comes and, and, and he says, uh, and he begins to ask the people around, do you believe in the resurrection? And they, they go to the law and they say, well, we know what God's word says, that, that there will be a resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. That's true. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he's taking them from the idea of just kind of this law, this box that they can check, this knowledge that they can have. And he wants them to understand that he himself, the person of Christ, he himself is the resurrection and the life. And he's standing right there in front of them. And so he tells them to roll away the stone and he, and he speaks to God and he says, he says, listen, I want you to show them that I'm the resurrection and life. And so sure enough, the stone is rolled away and Jesus calls out to the dead man and he comes out in his wrappings like a zombie who's alive. And everyone's amazed. And here's this person who was dead for four days, who now is breathing life and he's walking around the town and everyone looks at him and says, wow, look at what the spirit of God has done in this man's life. Do you see the difference? There is the law, the rule, the biblical principle, the idea, the word of God that says there is a resurrection on the last day. Then there is the actual resurrection. 
And so, yes, we want to understand what the Word of God says, but the Word of God is always pointing us to the person of Jesus who is himself the resurrection and life. And guess what? The Spirit of God, the, that resurrecting power, lives inside you if you are in Christ. And so Paul wants us to understand, yes, there is a time and a place to, to impact and transform society, but the point of the, the Spirit of God living by the Spirit is something so much more internal that it, than it is external. It's something inward more than it is outward. And so apart from any impact on society, our very life itself, whenever we are living for God, is itself an example of the resurrection power. So listen, your life as a Christian, we're going to do everything we can to impact society. But guess what? What Paul's talking about is not something that's just going to necessarily change a public vote so much as he's talking about privately changing our hearts for Christ. So before we worry about what's going on out there, we need to worry about what's going on in here. Because until what's going on in here is right, we're not going to have a chance of messing with anything that's going on out there. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. We can't expect the, to change the world if we're not willing to let God change our hearts. So God's grace isn't just this get out of jail free card. It's a get into life's true mission pass. We are to display Christ in all that we are so that we have the hope of displaying him in all that we do. Now listen, there's not a better example of this than Jesus Christ himself. I want you to think about Jesus for just a minute. His life mission. We're thinking a lot about that right now here in, in Christmas. As uh, Curtis said earlier, Christmas is not just this idea of a cute baby coming and, and a, a cute figure in a, in a manger. And, uh, and listen, there's some really cute nativity sets. Yesterday, the family ministry, they had kind of a nativity building one, and there were some really cute ones. That's not the point, right? The point is not just to, to have a day on the calendar that we kind of try to merge culture in Christ and make it work and say, it's not about Santa, it's about Christmas. You know, that's not the point. The point is to look at the person of Jesus and realize this. And realize that this, he was the perfect example of what we're talking about this morning when we're talking about living by the Spirit. Because when Jesus lived by the Spirit, and he did, by culture standards, by, by society standards, he failed. He failed. I mean, he was crucified. Do you know how many people walked by this man named Jesus, saw him on the cross, and said, just another heretic of the, of the true Roman gods? And there are a lot of people living today who think the same thing, who think he's just this historical figure, and he failed. In fact, some of his own disciples betrayed him as he was hanging on that cross and being, uh, being persecuted. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that if our whole disposition about life is simply what we want to do in culture for Christ, then we are going to really miss the point of what it means to live by the Spirit because we're getting the cart in front of the horse. Living by the Spirit is not about trying to change what happens in the voting booths in a year. We hope that we'll make a difference. We'll try to make a difference. But living by the Spirit means what is happening in your daily prayer closet. Living by the Spirit means what's happening right now on Sunday morning when you get up and you wrangle the kids and you do everything you can to worship with other brothers and sisters. Living by the Spirit is taking time to fast from physical meals in order to, to focus on Jesus. 
It's all these things that are happening internally, all these things that are happening privately, all these things that are happening that no one may not, not ever see, that you may not get ever any likes on Facebook or, or that may never go viral on, on uh, Instagram. It's really what's happening in your relationship with the Lord. Living by the Spirit starts here. And then as we grow closer to the Lord, we walk out as Lazaruses in the world, walking around and people look at us and they say, what's different about you? As we go to the voting booths and as we work in our schools and as we work in our communities, we display Christ in all that we do because we are displaying Christ in all that we are. That's what Paul is talking about here when it means to live by the Spirit. You know, the first first sermon I ever preached here um, some years ago, Psalm 1, it starts out with this idea of blessed is the man who does not walk, stand, or sit with sinners and the wicked and the scoffers. What Paul is saying by the Spirit is that blessed is the man who walks, who stands, and who sits down in that seat on that bus when everyone else on the bus is saying, get up. It's not your seat. You say, no. This is where Jesus has me sitting. This is the, the reality of this world. I'm the one who's seeing the world for the way it truly is. And you're the ones that are wrong. And may we as followers of Jesus be bold enough to walk, to stand, and to sit, not in the seat of the scoffers, but in the reality of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Help us to be bold believers, Lord, who hold on to truth in a world that wants to change the way that we see the world, who wants to change our vocabulary and change our minds and change our hearts. Lord, may we not get into the battle of of the law until we first let you win the battle in our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that we would, um, those of us who've claimed Jesus Christ, Father, that you would help us to live freely because you've set us free. Help us to wake up and just realize that we are not too far off, off of Lazarus, that you have, you saved us and you've raised us from the dead from sin that killed us and slayed us, Lord, you have saved us and and given us life and given it to us abundantly. So Lord, may we embrace that life in our prayer closets and then live that way in the public square because of what you've done on the inside. And so Lord, I wanna pray over everyone who claims Christ this morning in this place, maybe tuning in, maybe even listening later, Lord, that you would help us to hold on to the message of what it means to live by the Spirit. But that like Polycarp, maybe whenever everyone is screaming at us to change our mind, Lord, that we would see the world for the way it truly is. So, Lord, I pray for a blessing over everyone in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.